Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Here's Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome in. Miller and Condon on a Tuesday. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, Trent Condon, myself, Ken Miller, with you for the next couple of hours. Thanks for joining us here on a Tuesday. BMW Des Moines guest list looks like this today. Our Roshan Corporation. We are going to take a look back at one of the more memorable teams uh, in the state of Iowa history. This time it will be the 1992-93 Iowa Hawkeye men's basketball program, a team that was well famous for a lot of reasons and memorable for a, a whole lot of reasons. And one of the members of that squad, Wade Looking Bill, going to join us at the bottom of the hour. So Roshan Corporation, before, before we do that, we'll take a look back at the 92-93 uh, Hawks and uh, some of their... Uh, some of their more memorable games, uh, and then Wade Looking Bill at eleven ten, eleven fifteen. As Trent and I have committed to the rest for the rest of the week to take a look at the four local NFL teams as we head into the month of July. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll start with the defending Super Bowl champs today, the Kansas City Chiefs in the spotlight. Nick Athen, PrimetimeSportsTalk.com, coming up at about eleven ten, and then Matt Norlander is going to join the program. Matt Norlander covers basketball. For from a national perspective for CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ. You see him in Hassel. Well, I was going to say sitting side by side. Not the case. No, their 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 headshots are side by side, but no longer are they in the same studio, at least for the uh, time being. Trent, a lot of news uh, from yesterday, which is certainly good uh, for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I knew I now have. I was going to say a new. Uh, a favorite NASCAR driver. I've never had one right uh, yeah. until yesterday. How can he not root for Bubba Wallace? This picture uh, of all the uh, the drivers and the teams lining up behind him uh, in a show of unity prior to the uh, race t- uh, yesterday in Talladega after the noose was found um, uh, in his garage on Sunday. What a remarkable, remarkable moment. You know, you, you mentioned uh, to me before we came on today just of what the emotions that went through you. And yeah, there's times I kind of laugh at you. I scoff at you. you You'll you, be in my shoes when you're old. But that one, yeah. that one got to me. Yeah. And uh, seeing not just, there's that shot from up the track back and just mm-hmm. the sheer number of people right. that are following the car. The pushing of the car. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't see it live. I just saw the highlights of it on SportsCenter right. last night. But those images and and that video of that, I was right there with you. And just, yeah. I, it's something I didn't anticipate. It was going to make me well up, but right. it really did. It yeah. was incredibly impactful. And and what a moment for NASCAR. Mm-hmm. What a month for NASCAR. 
making yeah. their way into the national Good and spotlight. Bad. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the Confederate flag flying and going away. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, it was a terrific moment. I'm with you. It might be the year. It might be the moment of the year in sports. And yeah. if we don't have another one between, we're certainly hoping we have something to compare it to. That's going to be tough to knock off the pedestal. I think. Nah, Trent, I uh, I watched the race. Uh, the, the second half of the race, I found myself in my living room when he when he got to the front, and he and he only led for like a lap. He's he's moving up, moving up. I felt like I had a a fifteen to one shot in front with a furlong to run. I'm <laughs> screaming at my teeth, "Go on with him, Wallace!" <laughs> I was um, I got a favorite driver. Yeah, I've got a favorite. I'm going to watch this guy's career. And look, I don't think I'm alone. No, not at all. I think there's a whole lot of people jumped on the Bubba Wallace uh, bandwagon yesterday, and um, I've scraped my knees jumping on, and I'm I'm fully committed to you know following this guy. What a remarkable story! Then after the race, you know, he goes across the track. Some some of his supporters came down, uh, people that had never been to a race before mm-hmm. and wanted to come out and see him, and he shared a moment with them, and uh, he was interviewed on the track, and he choked up a little bit, and. and you know he's human for god's sakes uh great moment really really good moment we needed one in sports i think we got one yesterday there's no doubt and uh it shows you still what sports can do it's a conversation you know we really haven't had a lot during this time every once in a while it comes up but a chance to heal the country help the country through mm-hmm. all the difficult circumstances surrounding everything happening in the world right now and this is what can happen and it's it's nascar a sport that is yeah. a niche sport, yeah. a sport that, though it has its fans, we've seen Grew the numbers, how they've dwindled. in the South, Trent yep. Condon. And for that to happen, it shows you the power yeah. of sport and the good moments that certainly can come from no it. No question. Wallace said yesterday in the interview, and I'm paraphrasing, that the sports changed today. And I truly believe it did. I truly believe that there's going to be... NASCAR was... I don't want to say circling the drain. There's a lot of sports circling the drain. Mm-hmm. NASCAR is moving toward the drain. It's kind of caught up. Not the current, but the flow. Uh, but it, I, I think it got it pulled itself out yesterday. We'll see. We'll see uh, if it did. I think there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on NASCAR going forward. And um, thanks to uh, to Bubba Wallace and thanks to humanity, quite frankly, for realizing what a great story uh, that was. All right, so we go from there, west, north. West, north to Story County, um, and the Story County—a story that broke when you and I were on the air yesterday. Mm-hmm. Travis Hines, um, he was first to report. I don't know if somebody else did, and he picked up on it. But Travis Hines in the Des Moines Register and the Ames Tribune and Gannett uh, alerted us to this uh, Story County Health Board uh, that was going to meet last night, and they did, and they were going to implore uh, the Iowa State University to not allow fans at uh, sporting events this fall. And as would be expected, um, people were very, very vocal in lining up on good idea, mm-hmm. bad idea. Right. My question is, and, and the, the, the meeting really uh, held form, if you will, because they, they had their meeting, and there's, there's a pediatrician, there's three veterinarians, there's a plumber, uh, I don't. This is the makeup of the board I'm, re- I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they basically what what the what they said was going to happen at the uh, at the meeting did, and they are going to implore. Uh, that was their stance that they don't believe that there should be fans. But I don't know what power they have. Trent is my question. Here's what the hierarchy. Story County Health Board is. I don't think a decision maker. Do you? 
they uh, are not binding to Iowa State. The part of the story that that came out last night talked about that. The Story County they can make recommendations, but this is not something that Iowa State University has to listen to. Okay, if they don't want to. It has to be a proclamation from the governor. Uh, her proclamation. So Story County supervisors, and I'm assuming there is some. Yep, they don't have power to make this either. Then right, gotcha. This, this has to come from the governor's office. Her proclamation gotcha. of 50 percent capacity. Yeah, actually, it holds. Well, it expires on Thursday. Oh. So we're a couple of days away from the 50% proclamation expiring. Oh. And we'll see if there's an extension of that, a change of that, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. This is just a recommendation, and that's what they can do. So this is wording. This is something for that they believe should happen. But ultimately, when you're talking about power and what can and can't happen, mm-hmm. they do not. This is non-binding from gotcha. Iowa State. So um, they made their opinion known. Mm-hmm. It yep. wasn't very well received in a lot of corners. In fact, I think in most. Look, it's June. It's difficult to, um, I think, enact policy that's going to take place in September. Yes. And do so in, what was yesterday, 22nd of June. So then they kick the can to the supervisors, is my impression. Well, they're going to meet again on Thursday. Okay. And then they will turn it over to Story County supervisors. But... If you're right, and I have no reason to believe that you're not, obviously mm-hmm. you've looked into this, it's going to be Governor Reynolds who ultimately decides whether there are fans going to be allowed or not. And, and then you bring up a really good point and something that I, I've maintained. We're still over two months away from the start of this and, and how different things are going to look. Right now, it's one of those scary times when we're seeing spikes across mm-hmm. the country. We're seeing spikes and different hot spots start to crop up. What is that going to look like in Djokovic and his party go out. They, they, they went, they had a tennis tournament. I'm not sure where, a little charity event. Mm-hmm. They decided to go out and celebrate as a group. Look what happened. Right. Uh, LSU, a big part of that yes. is guys K State. They went to a bar, right? K State went guys. to a party on campus. Yep. And that's when it blows how up. Do you, how do you prevent kids from being, you know, how do you prevent athletes from going you know, out after a game on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, you can't. You, you can't. can't. No, you're you know, not. They're not paid. <laughs> right. A bubble for a professional athlete, that is one thing. But to anticipate, and even the likelihood, even if you put those parameters in place, come on. We were all 18 to 22. Right. And yes, there's a certain population that will listen to those rules and they Mm -hmm. will do it. And there's another percentage that I was a part of that said, the hell with it. I'm going to go have invincible. Right, right. And you know what? If I do get it, I'm going to be fine because I'm 18 years old and I will be fine. I'm going to go out. I'm going to have a couple of beers. I'm going to have some fun. Yeah. To hell with the rest of it. Trent, it's tough, man. It's part of the college life, right? Yeah, you want to yeah. go out, you want to mingle. Uh, it's just, think it's of that, if that's your college experience. Well, I didn't think, have one, but well, I can assume a, what it would be like. That, that four-year period, if that <laughs> right. was your life and you had to yeah. go to work and go home. Right. That's it. No mingling, no. no hanging out, no going out to even have go out to eat. Because that's what some people want. In order to have college football, to have it at the highest levels without any issues, mm-hmm. that's what you're going to have to do. But it's not likely. Live in reality. And the reality is that's not going to happen. Nope. We all know, kids of this age, it's not going to happen. No, I, I mean, I got a kick. I did, no, that's not the right word. I thought it was noble that when high school baseball came back, the Roosevelt kids were all wearing masks at practice. Yeah, yep. And that's something Des Moines Public Schools, all the right. all the public schools but in Des Moines But then Metro. after the practice was over in two hours or an <laughs> hour and a half or whatever, I'm sure that somebody's backyard pool was open and they all went over there or wherever high school yeah, kids yeah. go, right? Uh, and, they be, and they're turned in back into high school kids. So look, at, it's... Um, 
It's the great unknown. It is. It's the great unknown. But to enact a policy on June the 22nd for the first weekend in September seems a little bit far-fetched. But I, they wanted to go on record. Uh, they're on record. Yep. And uh, then they will kick it up the food chain to the supervisors of Story County before, you know, ultimately Governor Kim Reynolds will say, no, we're, we're going to have fans at these games. We'll see. We'll see what that number capacity. is. Does that seem like the most plausible yeah, I guess. So here's a question for you, because I haven't looked into this at all. We've heard that for colleges. Um, we're going to have Nick Athen on mm-hmm. later on. Arrowhead's a pretty big home field advantage, right? Yes, for, for me, the biggest are what? Seattle? Throw it up there. Arrowhead? Superdome for the Saints? That's a good one. Absolutely. Buffalo? Is it? Yeah. But they stink. Yeah. Well, they, not anymore years. they don't. Right. They have yeah. stunk for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Josh Allen's got a cannon. He does. I have to remind you that? He doesn't have much accuracy. <laughs> oh, oh, you have to have both? <laughs> they usually go hand in hand. That's where I've been wrong all of these years. <laughs> you um, love those big ones. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Jake Cutler. When you can hear the ball cutting through the air. They're whistling sign through. Him. Yep, sign him. Um, what else? What else a big home field advantage? Seattle? Domes, I guess? Minnesota? Lambeau. Lambeau, pretty darn good. Yeah, pretty darn good. Well, point being... We don't know what capacities are going to be like at Arrowhead Stadium, right? Have you seen anything? I have not. I haven't seen anything at all from the NFL, any parameters, anything that they're talking through. You would think with all the NFL national reporters that we have right, yeah. that there would be something. I mean, they must be keeping this under lockie right now saying, don't let this one get out. <laughs> this is not one you're going to leak, but they are, I'm sure, working through that. Is it 25% capacity? Is it 50? Is it Does it full vary house? from state to state? That's a, a good impact, too, of Indeed. what it's going to be and look like. Well, Trent, we are now about to... We're two topics into the first segment of the show. The one big event that uh, that happened yesterday, we haven't touched on, and I don't know if it's a product of you and I just being fed up to here with the owners versus the players. I don't know if we if that has anything to do with it, but you would have thought when we would have had a little bit more clarity uh, that that would have let off the uh, would have let off the show. Uh, and baseball, we're going to get to it ten minutes in or whatever it is. Uh, we're going to have baseball. It's going to be forced upon us by the not forced upon us, but Marab Manfred is um, he's going to enact what a lot of folks felt that he wanted to do all along. Uh, we're going to have a sixty game. 60-game season, which I guess is kind of a concession on the owner's part because when it was going to be um, when it was going to be mandated, it seemed like they were more 48 to 50. Yes. Then they, the Tony Clark-Manford meeting in Arizona, they, well, Manford thought they agreed on 60, so at least they're playing more than they, than the minimum that they would have had to to satisfy the agreement. You know, uh, and the part of this that gets back to the frustration level that we've had over this last six weeks or so with baseball in the back and forth is it feels like the owners want to move towards that 60 mark because the initial agreement it felt like they had a week and a half ago with Clark and Manfred was 60 games mm-hmm. the players came back with 70 but if they go down back to that 48 50 they feel like the players association is going to come back and they're going to file a grievance and we're going to head back to that oh, level geez. so that's at least the idea for Manfred. He's making the decision. All right, we had this initial agreement at 60. If we go back to 48 or 50, a grievance will be filed automatically. I mean, it's going to happen, and it probably still is going to happen regardless because of that initial parameter they put in there back in March 
we will play as many games as possible through September 27th. Through September 27th, and the players are going to come back and say, well, we could have played mm-hmm. more than this, but you drug your feet, and there'll be a grievance. But the hope is, at least from the owner's side, if they put it at 60, that grievance maybe won't have the same kind of merit if the number is that 48 to 50. Because they gave him a little carrot. Right. They sweetened the pot a little bit. Interesting. So we're waiting on two things that should happen today. Mm-hmm. One of them is the players have to... Um, agree to get to training camp, wherever that may be, by the 1st of July, which is a week from today or a week from tomorrow? week from... I don't know. Today's the 23rd, so that'll be tomorrow. So Okay. A week from tomorrow. So they have to agree to get there a week from tomorrow. The other thing is they have to sign, and this is the bigger of the two, the health and safety mm-hmm. protocol. They have to agree that the... Um, the parameters that they put in place for that, that they're, they're willing to sign off. So that's the only two things we have left. Uh, at which point, once they do that, players will jump in their car, head to wherever. I, I don't I mean, I don't know if they're going to open Florida and Arizona spring training. I don't. I, it sounds like everything that I've read that everybody is going to go to their home actual, stadium. Yep, their home mm-hmm. stadium, their home places. Now, you're talking about different impacts there. You have a couple of teams in Florida. you got teams in Arizona, uh, a team in Arizona, and a couple in Texas. So because of that, there's going to be different hot spots. But that is the belief that they're going to do, is instead of sending them to spring training facilities, they'll go to their home ballparks, look different. So in different the Rays cities. will train in the Dome? Yes. You know it would be really cool? I mean, probably too late now. Well, you couldn't go anyways. I was going to say, why don't his AAA team get a... Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you couldn't go watch anyways. I mean, if we had the... Well, I don't know. If the Marlins were downtown at Principal <laughs> Park, would anybody care? Probably it's not. Probably not, right? But uh, yeah, you can't. I mean, that's, uh, that's out the window. That idea is not going to fly because you can't go watch Well, they it, could so. let 1,900 people in. Is that what the number is? Yeah, at Principal Park. Oh, so you had a game yesterday. I did, yeah. yeah. Where they, did you go? SEP? Went out to Southeast Polk with the field turf, and it was dry. It was a beautiful night for Looks, baseball. Yeah. It was as good I as... I saw the picture you took. It was very uh, very good. Very is that your well first done. look at Southeast Polk's baseball it is. field? Yeah, it is. Isn't that a sharp yeah, ballpark? it really is. It, it looks big time. Got the trees back behind it and the sun setting last night. Really good game. Couple of victories for Southeast Polk. They were number three, second-ranked Ankeny, but Southeast Polk uh, took game one to one. Jack Allison had his first varsity home run of his career. Really good baseball player the last couple of years and went deep for the Rams in the first game. Second game, a young kid, junior, who hadn't pitched varsity uh, yet. He came out there and pitched a gem against the Hawks. Ran into a little bit of trouble in the seventh. He got pulled and then they just kept couldn't get outs. And Ankeny kept getting hits, tied it up 6-6. We go to the bottom of the seventh, 6-6. And a walk-off walk ends it. <laughs> a walk-off walk. That that's uh, just uh, it's yeah. It's not the most fun it's way to end a ball. It in, really in a lot is. Of ways, right? You want that hit. You want yeah. that to happen in in some kind of fashion. But Southeast Polk gets uh, both victories there. Now eight and zero on the year for the Rams, playing really really good baseball uh, out there. Have you heard back to Major League Baseball here? We're going to get a break before we take a look back. How do you want to do it? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Um, we don't know when there's a schedule, right? I mean, at least I have not heard when Major League Baseball is going to put out a schedule. Have you? I have not. No, nothing there. Well, they just agreed yesterday, so sure. maybe give it a day or two. Yeah, and, and I would guess this is going to come together very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's something that they've been working on, the schedule maker's been working on. The Superbook in, in, in Vegas already put out their odds this oh, morning. Oh, really? Yeah. So For the divisions? No, to win the World Series. Oh, to win the World Series. Yeah, okay. To, uh, to who the, what was the... Dodgers the favorite. The Dodgers, uh, there's two of them at seven to one. At seven, seven to one. Seven to one. I think it was said seven to one. At seven to one, I'd be taking a shot at the Dodgers. 
certainly seem the Yankees and the Dodgers. Yankees and the Dodgers. Give me the Dodgers at seven to one. You know what? I better, a I better, <laughs> I better try and uh, during the break find that. Okay. I thought that's what I saw. Anyways, uh, the odds are out, and we'll we'll get a schedule. We do we do know uh, that's um, pending a couple of sign offs. MLB is going to be on our TV as soon as July the twenty fourth, opening day. Wow. <sighs> Baseball <laughs> back. Uh, the, the one other th- just note before we go to break it's not a big deal, but the Raptors they left Toronto wherever their home base. Well, I'm guessing all the players had to come back to Toronto. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the Raptors plane flew into Florida yesterday. If they go to Game Seven, and I'm assuming this is the way for every team, right? Mm-hmm. If whoever goes to Game Seven will spend 116 days in Orlando, all right. Well, I mean, there's worse places to be for 116 days. That's a long one. In a bubble? In a bubble. Yeah. They can still go out. They can they're, still... They're, and they're well compensated. Look, they're yes, extremely they well compensated. Uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll get into the 92-93 Hawkeyes. Uh, Wade Looking, Bill's going to opine on his squad uh, with us as well. I'm sure we'll find a minute or two to look ahead to what we certainly hope is college basketball mm-hmm. uh, this coming fall. Wouldn't that just be the luck? Iowa... Preseason top five team First, nationally. Without, if Gars is back, and if we Gars believe we will. And yeah, no be, season, yeah. or an abbreviated season, yeah. or it's going to look a lot different than you'd anticipate. And yeah. Carver's rocking again. Eh, maybe not. It'll look like the Licklider days with a couple thousand people in the stands. We're going to play 10 games. There's going to be no fans. We're not going to have the no March no, no, Madness no, 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 no. again. May Madness. Let's make it May Madness. If we Whatever push it, it back, takes. Yes. Uh, Miller and Condon till noon. A look back at the 92-93 Iowa Hawkeyes basketball program. And then Wade Looking Bill, who's a senior. Yeah, he's a senior on that squad. That was his last year. We'll talk to Wade. In the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to go around... And, and start today, the four local teams between, we'll do it one every day between now and Friday. Today, the Chiefs, and then Matt Norlander. More college basketball talk from CBSSports.com. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Condon. <laughs> we go back to 1993. This is the number one hit, March 1993. Snow, a white Canadian rapper. What? With his hit informer. This was his hit? This was his one. Yep. Well, he had one. He had one. Good. What a time. What a time it was indeed. All right, the 92-93 Hawkeye basketball program, Roshan Corporation sponsors. Our, uh, look back at some of the more memorable teams. Obviously, this year, memorable uh, for all the wrong reasons. They, they were pretty good. I mean, yeah. they were finished uh, ranked where? Top 20, uh, I, I believe, was their final ranking, somewhere 19, uh, 20, somewhere around there. Uh, got to the uh, – well, they didn't get out of the first weekend, did they? Wake no. Forest got him. Rodney Rogers was an Ooh. absolute stud in that game. Undersized power forward. AC Earl had uh, the cover on him. Had plenty of block shots in the game, but Rodney Rogers would take him out and then go to town. That lefty was so, so good. You know, as I was going back and watching a little bit of that game uh, earlier this morning, one thing that I didn't remember, I remembered the Rodney Rogers part and Randolph Childress is a really good Wake Forest team, mm-hmm. but... Uh, it was a tie game with a couple minutes to go, and Wake Forest ultimately won by six. But it was a game right down to the wire that could have gone every and either way. 
four seed versus a five seed. So certainly one of those coin flip games you see in the round of 32. But another one of those what ifs, and this is probably the most unfortunate what mm-hmm. if, what this team with, of course, the passing of Chris mm-hmm. Street uh, in January of that year. Yeah, I don't remember much about it, Trent. I was uh, living in Denver at the time. Prairie Meadows had closed and I'd moved west uh, in 91, so I don't remember too much about the team. Um, Indiana won the conference. Mm-hmm. Indiana was really, really good. And this is the time that the Big Ten as a whole was really good. That Indiana team, 17-1 and mm. during the regular season of the Big Ten. They were one of the favorites to win the national championship that year. Damon Bailey's junior season for the Hoosiers, he was good. Pat Knight was on the squad as a walk-on. But Nat Norver was uh, one of their big guys. Brian Evans, Calbert Cheney, Allen Henderson, a really, really talented uh, team for Indiana that year that lost, though, before they made the ultimate step to the Final Four, lost to Kansas in the Elite Eight. Yeah, a couple of elite teams doing battle mm-hmm. in the Elite Eight, right? Kansas and uh, Indiana, at least Indiana still at the time uh, amongst the uh, Blue Bloods. Would they still call him one? I mean, once Indiana, you learn that status, I, I think you keep it, don't It's you? hard to take it away. I agree with but you. National championship game that they made. How long ago was that now? We're almost 18 years. Was that 2002, 2003 season, ago. I think? I'll take your word for it. That they got there with, uh, well, after Knight had left. Yep. And the run that they made, it's uh, still a blue blood. It still has mm-hmm. that, but Indiana still has great basketball. But Kentucky comes in and they get the guys, and that's a problem, too. Is for and they so don't play long. each other anymore. Yeah, for so right. long, though. You know, Indiana got their choice. They got who they wanted, and Purdue got the scraps, and those scraps turned out to be pretty, pretty good mm-hmm. themselves. But it was Indiana. That's where you went. That's not the case anymore. Katie Guys could are, coach, couldn't he? Yes, he could. Boy, he could coach. With the amount of talent that he got in comparison to Illinois at that time, Indiana at the time, Michigan, and there was Purdue. Every mm-hmm. single year you knew that he would be right there with his squads, the tough squads, the Brian Cardinals of the world, yeah. and the dirtiness, and, yeah. and they played a little bit different. And Iowa, boy, they played a little bit different back then, too, Dr. Tom and this squad. You mentioned before the season, there were expectations, certainly, with this squad. They were, most people thought, going to be really good. They were preseason number 10, in fact, coming into the year. Mm. AP Poll had them preseason number 10, and they got off to a 10-0 start in the non-conference. Now, they didn't play anybody really in the non-conference. Their exempt tournament that they played that season was down in San Juan. They beat American Puerto Rico, Eastern, than you think. Eastern Michigan, and Southern Illinois in the championship that's game. The three, that's the, that were the, those were the opponents? That's who they had to go through to win the San Juan so shootout. So who did Southern Illinois beat to get to the finals? <laughs> anybody? Yeah, I don't know what the other side of Holy that bracket mackerel. looked like to get there and uh, beat the Salukis by 20 in the championship <laughs> game. But they throttled Iowa State that year, beat them by 27 in Carver. They came to the Knapp Center, won by 15. Against uh, you and I, they beat them by 20. They were beating up everybody. How about this uh, little nugget, too? The old Amanda Hawkeye Classic mm-hmm. that will be reinvented this year uh, with uh, four teams that make their way Fingers there. Fingers crossed. Yeah, as long as we have basketball. But Mississippi State from the SEC came in to play in that, that right? in that tournament, which in, was in, a big In 92. Yeah, beat huh. them by 15, but... This is before uh, Mississippi State made that run a couple years later to the Final Four. Still, surprised to see an no. SEC team that's going to come and play two games on somebody's gym. Oh, don't. And, do uh, you have any you know, highlights? do have some highlights, and this goes to right after the passing of Chris Street. His final game that he played was the game at Duke. Iowa falls in that one, 65-56, lose by nine. Another tight game that went down to the wire in Cameron Indoor Stadium. 
Christy Street passes away. There's a long gap before they play and the return. And I still think the most memorable game, maybe for me in Iowa basketball history, mm. the game against Michigan State where they come out there and you could see from the get-go, they weren't ready to play. Right. And, and there's nothing that you can say that exemplifies that more. It just, they were, they were walking out there, didn't look like they wanted to be there at times. It, now that's something we'll ask Wade. What was the locker room yeah, like at the Breslin prior to? Your teammate passes away, but got a, a series of highlights here. This is the comeback. Is they're down by 17 in the game. Double? Double digits. No, this is the call from ESPN. And uh, these highlights all together as the Hawks and Val Barnes and AC Earl and company mm. make their comeback to force overtime. Every miss keeps it alive for Iowa, but they are running out of time. 70 seconds left in the game. Barnes, three. Got it, yeah. Three. There, three out of five now. Earl goes back up. If it goes, it's a chance for a three-point play. Big bucket. Big, big bucket. In the last 40 seconds. 76-71. Earl. He'll go straight up with it. And got it again. Tough shot. A.C. Earl has really risen to the occasion. He has played well the last ten minutes of this game. Missed them both. And there's nobody home for the rebound except the goal in black of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Barnes, he's going to try to tie it. And he did it! What a shot! What a shot! I mean, he was way out there. Somebody better get the ball in. Tied at 76. Time for a last-second shot by Michigan State to try to win. What a game. Zulak trying to feed it. Stolen by Murray. We're going to overtime. 76-76 in overtime. Iowa completes the comeback. It's a stop on the other end of the floor to force that overtime. You know, some Spartan fans might have sent a foul on AC Earl on that drive. <laughs> no, but, really? Uh, yeah, the the, uh, the stripes did not uh, blow the whistle on that one. Iowa forces overtime, got off to a great start. And let's listen to the final call from Brad Nessler and ESPN. It'll end up 96-90. to 90. That basket is good. An unbelievable comeback by the Iowa Hawkeyes, and the entire state of Iowa can be very proud as A.C. Earl points to the 40 in the back of his head. For Larry Conley, I'm Brad Nessler. Thanks for being with us in East Lansing. There it is. Final call from ESPN, 96-90. Iowa comes back and completes it. I remember that game so well. I remember the tears uh, flowing out of my eyes after that one. The emotion as they're making their way off the floor. They're very quickly cut to a USC-UCLA game as <laughs> this one had gone very yeah, long, right. as uh, you'd anticipate. But Yeah, but disappointment at the same time, yes, right? <laughs> it was absolutely incredible, this team, how they came together, making plays. As Nestler said there, the 40 that was etched into the back of AC Earls mm-hmm. in his uh, flat top that he had. What a cool, cool moment that was for that group and that victory. But it didn't end there. That was on the road in East Lansing before a couple of years ago. That was their only victory Iowa basketball had, had in the Breslin Center. But they come home then, the Fab Five coming in and Michigan. It's a Sunday. It's before the Super Bowl. This was the lead-in. You got Jim Nance on the call with Billy Packer against the Wolverines. And the Street family in attendance in the front row, mm-hmm. them team coming over before the game and talking with them national cbs i i would love to find i i would love to find an old rudy martsky piece and see what the rating was for this basketball game leading into the super bowl it had to be huge oh for sure had to be just with a the, monster yeah, number yeah, i mean yeah, this yeah. is espn's a Fab part five. of it have five super bowl lead in yeah, cbs huge 
huge, huge number. Maybe the most people to ever watch an Iowa basketball uh, game. Perhaps. At least until the Final Four, maybe, of 1980. Yeah, this is, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, where, where would we find that Rudy Martsky piece? I would love to know that as well. What Super Bowl? Uh, well, the, uh, the Bills were in it. Uh, that was that was a couple of years after Whitney. Anyways, all right. So we're going to get Wade looking build uh, momentarily. We're going to line him up, have him come on and uh, tell us more about that team. Again, Roshan Corporation sponsors. We're looking back at the ninety two ninety three uh, Hawkeye basketball program, a team that would finish. I got it right here. Nineteenth in the country was their final ranking. Uh, finished nineteenth in the uh, coaches poll. Uh, we'll take a timeout. Want to do it that way? Let's do that. We'll get Wade lined up and uh, give a long segment to Wade, the memories of this season. I think that's a bad way to do it. The, uh, the Wake Forest game we talked about. Going into Duke and Cameron Indoor, I want to get his recollection of that. It was revved up in a big, big-time way for that. Third-ranked Duke against 13th-ranked Iowa. The Big Ten at the time, how good it was, and playing through that season. And Wade was the one who replaced Chris Street in the starting lineup. And uh, certainly a lot of different angles. So excited to talk with Wade. Uh, we'll do so when we come back. He's scheduled to join us here. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. A Bill Reichart Golf Classic. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Uh, Wade Looking Bill, a member of the 92-93 Hawkeyes. Uh, it was a senior season. Roshan Corporation, we look back at some of the more memorable teams. Today it's Wade's 92-93 Hawks, and he joins us. Hello, Wade Looking Bill. How you been? Really good, Ken. How are you, man? Good to hear from you. It's good to hear from you. You're going to hear a whole lot more from us this fall. At least, fingers crossed, right? Uh, I hope wait, so. The, the, I hope so. I don't. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, indeed, it is. But the um, I don't know. It's it's going to look different. I think at, at best. That, that that's our best case scenario. I I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, they're going to be potentially. I don't even think I have to use potentially. I think that this team has uh, is going to be so good. But we'll 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 save that way. Yeah. We're looking back at your ninety two sure. ninety three yeah. team, Thanks. and obviously, um, look at the the Chris Street uh, uh, the, yeah. the, the unfortunate passing hung over that team. I'm assuming and, and still does. That's how they're remembered. Uh, they were you guys were a good team. Finished uh, top twenty ranking nineteen uh, in the uh, in the coaches poll, but. You know, prior to, I want to get to East Lansing. Trent played some highlights for that. But, you know, go back to October, you guys beginning practice. Yeah. You were ranked, I think Trent said, top 10 preseason-wise. Uh, you had a pretty good idea that this could be a special year. Yeah, yeah. You know, coming in, it was it was such an interesting year because we thought maybe AC was going to go. You know, that was still kind of not the norm. But it, so we, we thought maybe he was going to come out his junior year, you know, but he didn't. It, it, he didn't think about it a lot, but I I, I know he, he thought about some. So he came back, and we were excited. You know, Chris was just you know he was still only twenty years old. He was he was a young kid, even for a junior, and he just got better and better every day. Got off to a great start. You know, didn't didn't play a lot of teams, but I heard you guys talking about even that that Southern Illinois team. You know, they they had a guy named Chris Carr played ten years in the NBA. Yeah, and sure. It was ironic because Paul Lust who was Chris's really good friend, still a really good friend of mine, assistant coach over at Creighton, um, he transferred to Southern, to Southern Illinois. And that was his first game eligible after he left Iowa. So just it was, the whole season was kind of mm. just very ironic. And, you know, then Chris was, was so 
Paul played that game and was just kind of had rusty and was a shadow of what he really would become or had been. And uh, we all went out that night, had a good time down San Juan, and, and Chris was dead, you know, three weeks later. Mm. You uh, get off to the great start, 11-0 to begin the season before Big Ten play begins. You go to Indiana to open up, and, and that Hoosier squad, we talked about them a little bit earlier, number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They were 31-4 and overall on the year. Really talented Indiana team, but that game, it was nip and tuck. You were right there with the Hoosiers to open up Big Ten play. Yeah, you know, and that was a tough place for us to start, you know, we hadn't really been tested much in the preseason. We played a couple games or the pre-conference, but to go to Indiana on the road, at least you know get Minnesota or even Purdue, who was kind of down a little bit, get somebody at home. But that was a tough game, and, and, and we did. We we played them tough. We still felt good about that game, and um, just kind of the way everything was going, um, we played them tough and just just couldn't quite get it done. Uh, let's go to the Duke game before we get the East, uh, the, uh, the Breslin Center. Of course, uh, it didn't go your way, yeah. but I mean, I, I think, Wade, as you look back now, maybe do you appreciate the fact that you got to play in Cameron Indoor Arena more now as opposed to living it, uh, as you did in 1993? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It was such a strange schedule. You know, I think we, I think we lost to Indiana, then maybe lost to Ohio State on the road. Which you did. Wasn't a bad loss. Beat Minnesota, and then we had this non-conference game right in the middle of the conference season. And oh, by the way, it's it's at Duke. It was a really strange schedule. Of course, it was for TV. You know, like yeah. like everything is it's about money. But so we so we fly down there, and um, the game Saturday afternoon, I think, and and um, um, uh, go to practice Friday night, and 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 we're excited because we had lost to Duke the last. Two years in the tournament. Last year, the year before, we lost to them, like in Greensboro, and they were good. They were really good. I mean, just they were loaded. Just everybody. But this this Duke team that we were playing in '93, um, they uh, let's see, Leighton was gone, but Grant Hill was there. Bobby Hurley was back. Thomas Hill, Cherokee Park. Mm. They were still pretty good. Jeez. Tony Lang. I think it was close at half, and then they kind of pulled away at the end. And it was really strange because I think we stayed overnight, and then and then they played Virginia the next day at home. So it was they had back to back us on Saturday, and I think Virginia on Sunday, and, and they got beat that next day. <laughs> um, but it was just a really cool place to play, and just a really cool um, just just the environment alone. Um, yeah, really, you know, it's it's the mecca of college basketball. You know, that that environment absolutely incredible. Of course, Chris Street makes his final free throws in what turned out to be yeah. his final game. I know we've talked Wade about this uh, before and around the anniversary. Usually, there in January about the passing, the impact that it had, and we we've talked about it. But I, for the new listeners, the people that haven't heard the story, just take us back to that time, January of '93, and and for you, what happened? You take over his spot in the starting lineup there, but just the impact of the team. It's yeah. it's difficult to put into words yep so we stayed overnight saturday night just because flights couldn't get out flew home sunday and i think school started i forget the days now but my school might have started that monday and i, I may be missing a day or two here but um chris had a night class that that first day and and we were supposed to play i think it was western at home so it was a kind of a quick turnaround and you know the car accident you know just was awful 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 um and we, I don't think we did much for maybe 10 days. I think they 
rescheduled two, if not three games. I kind of forget now. And we'd practice, but we wouldn't practice. And, you know, we get in the bus and go to the funeral, just everything. And we're just trying to regroup. You know, we're just trying to kind of figure out, you know, we lost this great player, probably our best player. You know, he was leading the team in rebound and second scoring behind AC. Um, but, you know, the Big Ten didn't care. You know, they still, <laughs> we still had games to play. And I don't, I don't mean they didn't care, but just to right. see the, the teams we were playing. They, they were they were very, and everybody was very, respect, very respectful whenever we played somewhere. There was a moment of silence, mm. and they mentioned his name. But then they tried to, you know, kick your butt. So you still had to play. You know, Trent said uh, in the in the previous segment uh, that uh, the Michigan State game did not start well. What was it like in the locker room? You know, you guys, you're, you're about to take the floor for the first time without Chris Street. Um, yeah. Locker room prior yeah. to the game, what was it like? You know, it just was something where we were excited to play again. You know, but I, I tell people sometimes that the basketball was kind of the easiest part of dealing with, you know, Chris's death and that, you know, there weren't, you just had to concentrate on basketball. You didn't really think about missing your friend. You know, you, you knew he wasn't there, but in the in the moment, in that, you know, day-to-day back and forth of basketball, you just play basketball. But then once practice was over, once the game was over. So we were kind of excited to have a distraction, but, you know, we weren't ready to play. And Michigan State was still pretty good. They, You know, they weren't a great team, but they still had pros on that team, and, and it just was a, an amazing comeback. They're down 16 with three and a half to go, and I'm not surprised ESPN didn't, didn't cut to the other game. Sometimes they would do that back then. Um, I think UCLA was playing, or USC was playing maybe after us, and West Coast games, and luckily they they stayed with the Hawks because it was it was it was it, it was quite a game. Val Barnes hitting shots from all over the place hit the one oh, that ultimately uh, put it in there. He was so good. AC was so good late in that game. You get the victory. Got off to a great start in overtime too. I think that really helped. But uh, after that, then your first home game, and it is Michigan. The Fab Five coming in. Yeah. Super Bowl Sunday. National TV. It's it's Billy Packer coming in with Jim Nance. Was Billy Packer in those uh, the meetings beforehand? Was he as bad as he seemed like on TV? Was he just a prickly old man? <laughs> You know, he was. It was a really, I, he just was, you know, he just something where he was just trying to do a job. It, yeah. was, it was a weird dynamic. I, I, I liked Bill Raffery and those guys. Yes. Packer was just, he was different. But it was such a quick turnaround. You know, obviously that was Super Bowl Sunday. And, and can, can you imagine today having a college basketball game leading in Jeez. to the Super Bowl? I mean, it's just unheard of. So we played Michigan State probably Thursday night, and it's just you get on that plane and fly home. You get back at 2 in the morning. You fly into Cedar Rapids, bus back to Iowa City. And, no, by the way, two days later, here comes Weber and Howard and Jalen mm. Rose. And first home game back. And it just – one thing I remember is, you know, we would, we would take the floor probably 30 minutes before the game started just to do our warm-ups and kind of get started and go back in the locker room and come back. And fans would be kind of coming in during that whole 30 minutes. But when we left the locker room to start our warm-ups, there was not an empty seat. Everything was filled, and everybody was just anticipating, you know, something. And uh, we were really good that day. I don't think Michigan really led much, and we ended up winning by eight. And just was was a powerful game. You know, there was this presence with Chris not being there, but we were still kind of playing on emotion and, and – uh, it turned out to be a very memorable, very memorable game in Carver Hawk Arena. 
A great moment, the Street family there, and uh, very emotional as they get the victory, beating Michigan 88-80. From there, the Andy Kaufman game, that guy still has a middle name that I can't say on the radio for me, (laughs) hits the buzzer beater, beat you guys, and you you lose a couple more games after that emotionally. The emotional comeback win against Michigan State, beating Michigan, it had to feel like at that point there wasn't a whole lot in the tank before you guys bounced back and win five in a row. Yeah, you know, I, I I think we won. We were such a different team without Chris. Even even at Duke, we were still kind of trying to figure it out because we, we didn't play anybody. We lost at Indiana, lost at Ohio State, had to fly down, lost at Duke. But but we still thought, hey, we got a chance. The pieces are there. James Winters was a remarkable athlete. Kenyon Murray was a freshman. He was getting better. Um, Val was having a great senior year. You know, we we thought. But I, I think before Chris was killed, we were ranked seventh or eighth in the country, mm-hmm. which, you know, looking back, that's pretty good. You know, we, we were talking about we have a chance, you know. Yep. Um, and then just losing Chris after that, we were just a different team. I mm-hmm. think we won pretty much the games we were supposed to. I know we lost to Indiana at home, and you know, just I, I think we I think we won the games at home. We probably should have lost the games on the road where we probably weren't the better team, and just we were trying to hang on and. Ran into Wake Forest in the tournament, um, and you know, if if Chris wouldn't have been killed, you know, we we would have been higher than a four seed. We would have probably been a three at the worst. Just looking at the schedule and look at the teams we lost to, you know, he would have been that much or made that much of a difference. Um, but we still battled. You know, we still battled. We had him um, close game and. I think he had like 34 or something. Just was a just a tough, tough player with that left hand. Rodney Rogers was a good player. Yeah, he had a day, no doubt about that. So, you know, the season comes to an end. Um, Wade played really well in that game, by the way. He, he doesn't want to say it, but okay. you played well in that game against Rodney and company. I did. You know, I, um, I, I got 15 or 16 and held him to... To thirty four, so I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, I was the Chevrolet player of the game. Wow, so how about that? Kind of a, yeah. That's when they used to hand out those plaques and all that stuff. And each, each team, each got an award. You know, player of the game, and I got the plaque somewhere in a drawer or something. But um, yeah, so it was, for, for for me personally, it, it, it was a really, you know, kind of a kind of a nice way to. to Mm-hmm. And my career, you know, my career wasn't kind of what I hoped it was going to be, and and um, it was always kind of hard because you know I, I I wouldn't have had half of those minutes because Chris right. would have still been alive, you know. So it's something where I played pretty well those last fifteen games and was happy to do that. But it was always kind of you know just this odd feeling, and that you know I didn't I didn't really earn that because you know, Chris was better. Chris is better than me the moment he stepped on camp. Hmm. This was something where, where um, there was just a big void the whole year, and you know we still tried to rally. And we had a good team, you know, got beaten a second round to it to a pretty good team, and um, but it just it just was never the same. Yeah, what was the uh, uh, the end of season banquet like? I mean, I mean, I, I, it, Chris Street had to yeah. you know linger over everything, right? Yeah, yeah, just everything, you know. Mm-hmm. I just remember, um, you know, they, they give awards off for everything. It's like it's like right. third grade baseball. Everybody gets a trophy. You get, you know, most improved player, and you get leading rebounder, leading free throw shooter, leading. You know, it's all it's kind of, kind of funny in a way, but but it's nice. Um, so I remember, you know, AC Earl was was the leading rebounder, and he wouldn't accept the award 
because, you know, when Chris was killed, he was, hmm. Chris was averaging 10 boards a game and AC averaged seven or eight, you know, so Chris would have had that. And, and um, I got the first Chris Street Memorial Award, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, and, uh, again, it just was something where, at that point, we were just kind of, everybody was tired, you know, I think just wore out and, and, um, um, it just was something where the season, you know, could have been really special because of the basketball, because of the talent we had. And it turned out to be, I don't know if special is the right word, but maybe just memorable um, for other reasons. 92-93 Hawkeye basketball program. Wade looking Bill senior year, and he joined us. Wade, uh, thank you for doing this for us. Appreciate it, as always. Uh, look forward to talking to you a whole bunch in the uh, weeks, months ahead. Going to be perhaps a pretty special season uh, unfolding over in Iowa City. Thank you, Wade. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Anytime. Yep. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Wade Looking, Bill. Uh, good to talk to you. Good guy. 1993. How about this Final Four? North Carolina and Kansas on one side. The other side, Kentucky, Michigan. Pretty salty. <laughs> and uh, we mentioned Kansas got there by beating number one Indiana to get. Yep. It was a great NCAA tournament. You had mm. Steve Nash and the 15-seeded Santa Clara Bronx beating Arizona in the first round. Another one of my favorite notes of that year. You know, We talk about the year that UConn got beat the same year the Drake got beat, so we had the 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. The first time that ever happened in the NCAA tournament was in 93. George Washington, the 12, beat New Mexico as the 5. Southern, the 13 seed, beat Georgia Tech. Two parts of that. Southern won the SWAC tournament after the bracket had been released. It was actually supposed to be Jackson oh. State, who had a couple of guys that played in the NBA. Southern upset them, probably would have been a 16 seed, but they were 13. Then beat Georgia Tech in the first round. George Washington didn't pack their white jerseys because they didn't think they were going to be the higher seed. So both teams had to wear their road jerseys in that round of 32 game. George Washington went on to the Sweet 16. Good memory on you. How do you remember some of this stuff? Well, this is my, you know, I college know, basketball. It's I like know. you and hockey, right? College basketball and these memories are coming flooding back. Jason Kidd coming onto the scene with Cal and they're under the Sweet 16. 1993, my sweet spot of college basketball. I don't know if it was ever better for me Hmm. than during that year. Uh, Thank you again to Wade Looking Bill. We will come back. Uh, We're going to do our first NFL look this week. Take a look at the four local teams. Today it's the Chiefs. Uh, And then we're going to talk to Matt Norlander, college basketball from a national perspective. He writes for CBSSports.com. Miller and Condon till noon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM.